everybody. Welcome to uh, this week's podcast. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. Um, this week, we are going to be talking about uh, what is either called Entebbe or Seven Days in Entebbe, uh, depending on which country you live in. Uh Basically, recounting the uh, 1976 hijacking of uh, Air France flight uh, and the subsequent Israeli operation to rescue the hostages. Um, just a few comments before we get to the movie. <clears throat> you can always reach out to us at popcorn drink combo at gmail.com uh, for comments or questions. Um, I just wanted to make one or two quick unrelated comments uh, before we get into this film. One is, uh, and I don't, I don't think we're going to do a podcast on it, but I did see Red Sparrow, which got absolutely savaged in most of its reviews, and I saw it today, and it's not nearly as bad as they say it is. I think, if anything, it's guilty of being too ambitious, but Jennifer Lawrence is pretty solid in it. You haven't seen it, have you, Peter? No. It's, 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 I think it might be worth a red box or when it comes to video, but... It was it was a Sunday afternoon and I wanted to see another movie, so I went out and saw it. There were four Wait, people in the theater. You didn't get your usual advance copy from the studio with <laughs> no. your IP address on it. And then the other thing is, I feel like I kind of have to give an apology. Um, when we did Last of the Mohicans way back when, we um, we kind of trashed a little bit Stephen Waddington, who played Major Duncan. Um, he was sort of the love interest who kind of gets blown off by the woman who goes off with Daniel Day-Lewis. Ring a bell? Mm-hmm. And I, um, I just finished watching Julian Fellow's uh, 2012 miniseries Titanic, which I had seen before, and he plays uh, second officer Lightoller in that, and man, is he good. Like, I kind of felt bad watching it because we had not been so kind to him or maybe not so much to him but to his character but man is he a good actor in titanic so i kind of felt like i had to give him if you're out there if you're listening anywhere <laughs> stephen waddington you've earned my respect um okay we're back to 1976 uh peter do you want to give a summary of the film yeah so this this movie's about a real event which is pretty well known and famous in the annals of uh, military action against terrorism, um, at least. And uh, in, in 1976, a group of terrorists consisting of some uh, Palestinian um, terrorists from um, a Paris, a, uh, the, the PFLP, as well as a couple of left-wing um, extremist Germans, teamed up and hijacked an Air France flight and um, for political reasons. And, you know, back in the 70s, there were a lot more hijackings than there are now. Um, hijackings it was sort of the golden de- age of hijackings. Ah, back in the golden age of hijacking. <laughs> back when you could bring You know, it's like Neil Gaiman says the that the golden age of science fiction is when you're 12. <laughs> anyway, right. I mean, ahead, back then, you know... <laughs> <laughs> you could smoke on the plane and you could hijack it. Two things that right. are now more Right, you difficult. could bring your camels and a Sig Sauer on the plane. <laughs> right. You could probably bring a bazooka on the plane back then. <laughs> Nobody would have noticed. But um, so uh, they they hijacked a plane. It ended up in, in Uganda at Entebbe Airport. And uh, the infamous Idi Amin, um, who was the dictator of, of Uganda during the 1970s, was 
involved in helping to hold the the hostages sympathetic to the terrorists and uh you know was sort of a nutsy guy just to to, to put it mildly and was was in, involved in the politics of the hijacking to some extent maybe not in planning it but in uh once they got there he became sort of embroiled and they negotiated for um a short period of time they made some demands five million dollars the release of a bunch of um terrorists which are who are being held in israel the israelis had a policy not to negotiate with hostages but they broke that to some extent negotiated with them a little bit and in the end decided that they would the the chance of any kind of peaceful resolution was low and they sent a substantial um commando raid into Uganda to take over the airport uh, and and rescue the hostages. And they rescued most of them um, successfully um, and also just killed a, several dozen Ugandans and destroyed a bunch of their um, uh, military equipment and fighter jets, et cetera, during, during the raid. Um, the Some of the commandos were wounded. A few of the... Um, and and one was killed who is famously um Yonatan Netanyahu who's the older brother of the current prime minister Bibi. of Israel so um who was only like 30 i think or 29 yeah bb was in the us studying was, when this happened i think right and and so his brother was was part of the uh commando group he was the actually the commander of the raid um the unit commander and uh, was shot and killed during the during the action, and the whole thing. I think the commando raid was like a half hour, and I think they were there and out in an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, um, fifty three minutes. I read from landing to leaving, and um, <clears throat> it ended up. Um, it was you know very sort of famous event, and in terms of military history, what I was reading about it is that it it led to a lot of people copying the kind of hostage rescue structure that they had um, kind of, I don't know, improvised really um, established on the spot, I guess, uh, during this raid. Um, Large force, in, in heavily armed. Right. Moving and, uh, quickly. you know, they basically, and they went into another, um, you know, they went into a, another sovereign nation um, uh, undetected, um, and attacked and got out. Um, so this so is, this, this, this is the movie, third or fourth uh, version of this story. I, I remember seeing when we were kids, seeing raid on Entebbe. Um, right. That's like, isn't it like Elizabeth Taylor in that or something? Uh, I don't Some know if Elizabeth like... Taylor, I remember Charles Bronson is in it and Yafet Koto who plays, uh, Parker right, and alien. Uh, he plays Idi Amin, and yeah. it's the uh, Raid on Entebbe is actually directed by Irvin Kirshner, who directed Empire Strikes Back. Um, right. And I've seen there's there's a couple of good documentaries about this. I mean, you, you know, people keep coming back to this because it's such an incredible story. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just I think it's worth just saying I love Idi Amin's full title. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's like awesome. he's so crazy. Like Edie Mead's full title, I looked it up, is His Excellency President for Life, 
Field Marshal Al Haji Dr. Idi Amin Dada, VC DSO MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire and Africa in general and Uganda in particular. That's his title. Well, some of the, I put some of that on my business card because <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that that guy. You're right. I mean, he may not have. Um, he may not. He may have been a little nutsy, but he was a, a genius when it came to titles. <laughs> I mean, con- conqueror of the British Empire was part of his title. Um, CBE. <laughs> you know, they didn't. Um, awesome. I thought that they could have done a little bit more to kind of set the stage. Like the movie just sort of jumps in. Um, and I will tell you that, you know, I saw this with my wife and kids and, you know, if you didn't know anything, like this is 1976, right? So the 67 war is very recent. The Munich Olympic massacre, more recent. the 73 war, you know, months ago, you know, they are, this is a, this is such a difficult time in the history of Israel. They are under siege from all sides. And I think that I think if they had given that a little bit more, maybe just like a little text or a couple of screen cards at the beginning, it would have made um, some of the debate between Perez and Rabin a little more uh, substantive to people who didn't know the backstory. So uh, for those who haven't seen it, uh, Shimon Perez is the Minister of Defense, and he is arguing for a more aggressive military response, whereas Yitzhak Rabin is the Prime Minister who is interested in the possibility of negotiating their way out of it. And sort of the, there's really three stories going on. There's the hijacking. Uh, There is um, what's happening with uh, the Israeli prime minister and his cabinet. And then sort of the the third story is one of the soldiers who has no name and his girlfriend uh, are having. Is that it? It seemed like they were, I mean, how many storylines? I I cannot remember a movie with more storylines going on at the same time. There gotta be more than well, three. Well, but I mean, you could. I guess that's how I sort <laughs> of the, broke it the up. There's the dance. Yeah, I mean, well, the this, dance this is part of the third storylines. Story I guess, but then you get to storylines and sub storylines. I mean, you got the guy who's the commando. You know, Joe, whatever random commando with his girlfriend, who's also the dance, the dancer, who also is worried about him not being home for dinner because he's a commando. Um, man, there were a lot of storylines. And they, Oh yeah. The, and the, the, there were a lot of complexities in the storyline with the terrorists. So they kind of told the movie from the viewpoint of the Germans, more the German left wing terrorists who are sort of the two leads in the movie, right? Daniel Brühl and uh, what's her name? Uh, Rosamund uh, Pike. Um, Rosamund Pike. And um, they're sort of the two central characters, I guess. I mean, they're the two, the two actors with top billing because they probably have the most screen time in the movie. Um, and, and so th- it, it's interesting to go from that, um, to, to sort of make that central. By the way, Rosamund Pike, I mean, what a, she does a great German accent and speaks like awesome German. You know, you know, it's funny because I I just <laughs> saw her impressive. about two weeks ago in Hostiles, and you know she's in Gone Girl. She always sort of plays these unpleasant, difficult women. Like that's she's sort of carved out that niche for herself. Um, 
I know, but they usually speak English. Unless they're from Germany. I was impressed. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I was thinking, too, and, and again, maybe they were smart just to sort of sidestep all this. Like, it, it is a little, you know, like the, the, the ultra left-wing Germans who are carrying out these attacks. You know, this is like German revolutionary cells, Red Army factions, sort of aligning with the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, the PFLP. I mean, there's a lot of complex politics happening on the far left around the world in the 70s. And, you know, they, they sort of sidestep it by having um, the the Daniel Brühl character. I think the, the, the person he's playing, I'm trying to remember his name, but, you know, he just says, well, he's a, a, a Wilf, yeah, Bose. He's a, you know, he's a publisher of, you know, radical texts. And, it's, you know, they, they sort of convey that he's maybe read a little too much. You know, he's imbibed a little too much of this stuff and, you know, doesn't really understand the difference between writing this stuff and giving a speech and taking very, very violent action, which clearly doesn't sit with him so well compared to how it sits with, for example, the Palestinians, who are much more comfortable. Yeah. And um, I guess in there's in real life, he may not he may not have executed the hostages when he had the chance because there was a little bit of time when the actual raid happened, they didn't storm right in the door. They started getting in a firefight outside the terminal, the old, um, Entebbe airport terminal where, where the hostages were. So I read, um, Um, a couple of accounts said pretty much the same thing that when the Israelis stormed the terminal, uh, Bose did raise his Kalashnikov and then sort of realizing that his death was imminent, he turned to the hostages and said, stay down. So again, I'm not defending him, and I'm certainly the last guy who's going to defend a guy who takes a bunch of people hostage like that. But there are credible accounts that at the last minute he did not, you know, open fire on the the hostages when he had the chance. Um, and you wonder if the, by and the way, they, you wonder if the PFLP that. guys would have done the same thing. Probably not. Uh, yeah, you get the sense they didn't. And there's a lot of discussion about that. Well, not a lot, but there are several instances in discussion in the movie where they say that he doesn't have anything to die for, that they are, you know, they have a grudge and he's just an idealist. Right. And there's that less. great scene where That's the Palestinians the sort of it. roll their eyes at him. You know, like how much yeah. of this, you know, prattle from this guy do we have to listen to? This is high-minded stuff. But, you know, so 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 why they, I mean, they're really, there's a lot, a lot going on. They try, you know, he tries to make the movie. Um, the director is uh, Jose Padilla. Of Narcos um, fame. Who's a Brazilian, I guess. Yeah. So, so they try to, you know, they try to tell this kind of, tale from multiple points almost like um more, more, almost like a tv miniseries almost you know like this kind of sweeping um view 360 degree view kind of, of what's going on maybe to some extent centered a little bit on the the germans and and then also on the israeli politics and but but they really try to show this kind of sweeping kind of view right and another way you could have done this is more like um the uh the 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 shoebox 
you know, type of creating tension, like, you know, the 12 angry men style or the, what's the movie about the Cuban missile crisis? Uh, something October. The missiles of October. Yeah. Right. Missiles and then 13 October, days is right? the more and, modern remake. Right. So they, you know, that, that is really just like some guys talking about it in a room. You know, it, they don't, they don't cut to, they don't tell the story of the, the U2 pilots um, flying and the guy who, who services the U2 um, engine <laughs> and how he's in a fight with his girlfriend and the guy developing the film and then the, 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 the White House chef and the Cubans and the Russian delivering the missiles and he doesn't, you know, they, they don't, there's no, you know, they do the story in a box thing, right? This is the exact opposite of story right, in a box. This is, the, this is like the exploded so, view, as they say. Like if you're looking at an exploded like right, engineering this is, this diagram, this... right? Or you know, 360 or whatever. Like you're right. That's a good way of putting it. Exploded view. To me, though, I think it's hard to make make things make tension and make things interesting that way. Hmm. It's almost like that when you know a little less, you know, it's it's the the way Twelve Angry Men is like a pressure cooker. You know, and the way the the Cuban Missile Crisis has a certain bit of pressure cooker kind of aspect to it, whereas this thing, because it's an exploded view, you're, it's always moving around, and you don't have the same sense of building of of time pressure, of tension, of um, containment. I you know, I don't know. I mean, I, know? I knew the story going in and I'd seen, like I said, other versions of it, both documentary and dramatized. And I don't know, like I, I like the way that it bounced around and it was showing it from multiple point of views. Like I was okay with it. Uh, we'll get to what I wasn't okay with, which I, I bet you can guess what that is. Um, but <laughs> dancing, <laughs> you're, you're close. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I thought that it was an interesting way to do it. Like, I actually found that the most interesting parts of the movie were actually the cabinet debates, like the the Perez um, Rabin friction. To me, is really the core of the movie because it's the Israelis trying to decide how do they interact with the world, right? Are we, you know, can we can we negotiate? Is it is it I just is it something we can even do at this point, or are we just in an endless fight with these people? Like, I thought that was a really interesting debate. And the way that, for example, Perez is, you know, he's not just arguing his case. He's also moving against Rabin politically during the whole thing. Like he's like there's a lot happening between the relationship between those two men who very much need each other, but don't like each other and don't get along. I thought that was I don't know. I, I, I thought that was for me the best part. So the movie is framed around a uh, large dance number. Yeah, I know you're super into modern dance, so <laughs> you probably really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, I could see why they did it. I mean, it's to sort of be striking, like the dance is very striking. Um, it gives the opening the, scene's okay. Yeah, like and it gives the, the, it like gives right the nameless the Israeli commando, his girlfriend, of like a physical concrete link to the story. And I think, you know, they juxtapose them training with the dancers training and the choreographed nature of what the dancers are doing with the choreographed nature of the assault in Antebi. Mm. Them's the problem right there. Well, and I will, 
for me, the, <laughs> the biggest assault. problem I had with the film was, you know, like the payoff of this movie is the assault. Like you want to see the commandos storm the airfield. Yeah, but you want to see all all action climactic battle scenes need a little modern dance mixed in every four <laughs> seconds. I mean, come on. But I I was surprised at how little of the actual assault we saw. And the movie really underplayed the intensity and the duration and sort of the multi-pronged nature of the attack. They, the movie made it look like they drove up in the black limo, shot a couple guys at the terminal and ran out the door. And a lot more happened in the actual assault than that. Like they, it was a huge gun battle. Yeah. And you know, 45 Ugandans were killed. You know, they didn't even touch on the fact that they destroyed Anywhere from, depending what you read, a quarter to a half of the Ugandan Air Force. Well, because on the other end of the airfield, there were all these MiGs, and there was a whole squad that was sent to destroy the MiGs on the ground. Right. And these guys just literally went from MiG to MiG to MiG to MiG to MiG, blowing them up because they were very worried that the. They would get intercepted on the way out. They would get shot down on the way out. I guess they were they Hercules? Yeah, they're slow. Um, They're turboprops. Yeah, they were really worried about that. And that's a huge part of this. Yep. Um, And, you know, and when when Brigitte and um, the Daniel Bruhl character get killed, it's 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 just it's so fast. You didn't really have a chance to absorb it. Well, you get to absorb it during the intervening dance sequences, which is intercut. (laughs) Literally. I mean, it's like four seconds of action, six seconds of dance. Three seconds of ancient action, two seconds of dance. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you know, you can get away with it sometimes. And for example, it reminded me of uh, two movies. One is it reminded me of The Godfather, right, where the baptism is interposed with uh, Michael killing all his enemies at the end of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. but the emphasis is really on the violence and what what Michael's men are doing all over town. Mm-hmm. You know, and they just occasionally bring you back to the baby. And then the other one that reminds me of a little bit was the end of Apocalypse Now, where there's this sort of like dancing going on. And there's a sort of ritual sacrifice going on. But you know that all along, um, Michael Sheen is coming to kill Marlon Brando. Um, yeah. And again, you can. So that's what I mean. Like, you know, you can get away with it. But this movie is not The Godfather. And this movie is not Apocalypse Now. And they I think that they leaned way too hard in the dance. And I don't know anybody who didn't think that who saw this i um sometimes when something gets too artsy i hesitate initially to criticize it because i always think about all the people that hated 2001 when it came out (laughs) and how you know like they had to like tuck their tail 10 years later you know and and go back and you know realize that they just had, had a complete lack of vision and, you know, it was their shortcoming, right? So when I see something like this, I'm never sure whether it's just 2001 and I'm the moron or, but, you know, I think you're right. I think, I think, I think, I think it sucked. Uh, and I, I, I don't think it was us. I don't. I don't know that it sucked. I think that they went too far. And I think that they could have intercut the dance, but they should have showed more of the raid. I mean, because the truth of the matter is the emotional payoff is not 
the dance, like the emotional payoff to this entire film is the Israelis defying the odds, you know, going against international pressure, flying 4,000 kilometers and carrying out this incredible commando raid on foreign soil. Like that's the payoff. Right. You know, not uh, throwing a bunch of hats in the air. Right. And, and you know, in it's, a synchronized manner. And this is one of those things they're still studying at like Sandhurst and West Point and, you know they're still going over this raid, you know, in military college. So like, um, I don't think they should have intercut it at all. I think they, that the beginning, it was nice. It was a nice way to open the film. And I think if they wanted to intercut stuff, they could have intercut some when they loaded on the planes and took off, they could have intercut the dance in at the end of the or, sequence or, the, or a better way to intercut it would also have been on the way there. Right. Going you know, when they were leaving, flying right. there, and but then and then once they jump out of the plane, stay with the raid. I don't know. Um, and again, you know, look, it's an artistic choice, and the director did what he thought was best. And maybe he didn't want to be just like all the other films about this exact event. And this was a way that he thought that he could do something different and stand out. But you know, maybe just a little less modern dance, just a little maybe. I don't. Know. <laughs> I think my dinner with Andre had more action. Then, well, I'm, <laughs> then this, then this scene, I mean, inconceivable. <laughs> I mean, you know, they could have think about, you, you know, how I talk, you know, we, I think we podcasted on heat, didn't we? Yeah. We talked about heat. Yeah, we did. Like the, the, the best thing in heat to me by a long shot. And I know I said this in the podcast was the bank robbery scene and the shootout, which is like riveting it, it really it's like spine tingling like the the violence and the the gunplay in it and the sense of individual risk and danger in this in the gun battle they have and the whole robbery scene when they're fleeing the scene of this big bank robbery and they get in this massive gun battle with the police is so well done i mean just compare this thing with the dance and with a couple of slow motion sequences and a you know a couple of exploding gel packs and a couple of you know and a bunch of close ups um i it, i mean this it just absolutely lacked um any kind of uh drive well it was and it was too quick too like you know like i blinked and the actual assault scene was over. But you know, just to bring it back to 2001 for one second. You're right and you're wrong about 2001 because it's true that you know, uh many many critics, most notably Pauline Kael, savaged it and then years later kind of pretended they had never written that and said how great it was. <laughs> right. But even Kubrick <laughs> Even Kubrick, after the first couple shows, cut 17 minutes or so out. Like, right. even he was like, maybe a little less. So the, the, the version that you and I grew up on and have seen is the one that's not the same as what the critics saw the first couple rounds. And he did cut out some of the ending and some of the middle. So, you know. Not the beginning. I still think there's too much monkey in the beginning. <laughs> I like the monkeys. Yeah, but it takes uh, a while. Um, uh, what's the main monkey? Moon Watcher. Right. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, but look, that I mean, that's the movie they made. You know, like that's that's the decision that they made. Um, 
The other thing that I thought was a little confusing is they heavily hinted that the girlfriend, sorry, that the dancer's boyfriend is Bibi Netanyahu, but it's right. not. Right. And 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 a lot of people I think walked out of this movie thinking that they were brothers, but that's Bibi wasn't on the raid. Bibi, I'm pretty sure Bibi was in the U.S. getting his degree at MIT at that time. Yeah, he was younger. Um, but it was confusing, and I and I was watching it thinking. He wasn't there. Like, why is BB there? But they never name him. And his, I don't even think his character gets a name in the credits, that guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was a little... And maybe he was just supposed to be everyman commando. Right. I don't know. No, I was going to say, I didn't... I, I love the concept of the politics between, you know, Perez and Rabin. But... I don't... I think that the Perez... I, I don't think the actor that played Perez was great and i think perez is sort of comes off as sort of smarmy um whereas robin comes across as kind of conflicted and maybe he's got a point but he's kind of worried whereas perez is sort of in the movie just kind of comes across as one note really um not considered of the complexity of the situation or not even really bothered much by, um, by the gravity of the situation. Yeah. But that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was saying that, you know, he's not just formulating a plan. He's moving against Rabin politically. Like he's, he's saying this stuff so the whole cabinet can see, you know, so the military can see like, like he's putting on a little bit of a show when he talks. Hmm. You think it really went down that way? Well, I I certainly don't know, but I mean, I think that that that's how they were portraying it. No, I know um, they were, but I I just it, it he didn't he seemed unbelievable to me. I, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, <coughs> I mean, he was, I don't know. He was pure pure politics, pure manipulation. I just have a feeling that. I mean, I I don't really know either. I would just bet that it wasn't. It didn't go down like that. Not that those but two remember too that they had run against each other in elections. Well, they were pro- uh, political um, rivals for their whole careers, right? Until and I, and, Rabin right, died. They, they, well, because this was the debate who would succeed Goldemayer, and Rabin won. But I'm pretty sure that Perez ran in that election. Yeah. Well, um, they both ended up getting their shot. You know. Well, yeah. Oh no, for that sure. That was a bad pun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I want to say a few words about Daniel Bruhl, who I think is is really really a good actor. I think yeah. Daniel Bruhl is having a real moment uh, in sort of uh, film and uh, sort of the popular consciousness. I mean, he is. Um, he's doing a lot of stuff now like he plays he was Nicky Lauda in Rush I really um, loved him as Nicky Lauda I think he was great in that role yeah Rush was really a good movie and I couldn't yeah. care less about Formula One car racing yeah. um, He right now I keep mentioning this to you but right now he is playing Dr. Chrysler on The Alienist which is which might be the best show on television right now it's so good it's I so well made there's so much effort that goes into this um, you know, and, and he and Dakota Fanning are really the two stars and, you know, one just steals scenes from the other. They're both so good. Um, 
He was in um, The Woman in Gold. He was in the movie about um, Julian Assange. Like, I just feel like every time I turn around, he's in a movie and he's always good. He's even in one of the Captain America um, movies. I mean, he's he's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and good I, you know, him. he has really, really tripped over into just a huge mainstream actor who's getting a ton of uh, screen time. And everywhere you see him, he does a great job. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I think that, you know, in, in Rush, uh, I think he's, I think he was the best thing in the movie. I mean, I like and, that movie. I just, he was, man, he was really good. And he doesn't have the biggest part, but he sort of looms over the whole story. He's more interesting than James Hunt, even he's, though James Hunt he's is a much more interesting. Yeah, no, right? he's much more you know? interesting because he's not so glamorous, but he's supposed to be a better driver. Well, he's In always talking ways, you know? about... He's more dedicated, uh, he's more serious, he's more rigorous. Well, he takes... He's always talking about um, the risk involved in things. And I think, you know, it's it's really... Uh, it's very interesting. Well, and he gets burned. Right. Right? He gets, he gets uh, so badly yep. burned. Like, he's aware of the risk and he gets bit. Although he does... He did survive. Um I don't know. I mean, just to, to bring it back to Entebbe, I, I would say that, you know, as we were driving to the theater, I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes and the reviews were poor. Right. Um, and I don't think that this movie deserves a poor review. I think that it's kind of a near miss for me, though, in the sense that clearly this is a topic I'm intensely interested in. And I'm interested in, you know, Middle East politics. I'm interested in anything involving aviation. I'm interested in, you know, the 70s. Like this was like pushing every single button I had, but I kind of, I just felt like they took the wind out of their sails with the whole sort of artistic decision to do the third act the way that they did it. And and it really could have been a home run, I think, if they had shown the raid in more detail and sort of conveyed how incredibly complex the raid is. Like, if you go on YouTube, people have diagrammed out the raid, like they're moving planes, going to this end of the runway, trucks driving down, APCs, you know, five mm. squads. I mean, it's unbelievable what they did. And the movie just, it, it doesn't convey it. It's like saying that, you know, we won the Revolutionary War in, like, one battle. Right. Right. And there was some dance involved <laughs> while they were crossing the Delaware. I think Martha, Martha was, like, you know, she was Throwing herself ball. on the bottom of the ship. She was um, on a, there was a ball that she was dancing at while they were crossing the Delaware. The plane, by the way, is an Airbus A300. Um, right. And I read it. So the plane wasn't injured. Uh, or damaged, I mean. The plane wasn't damaged in the hijacking, and the plane was put back in his service and flew until the 90s. Yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, that plane cost a fortune. They're not going to oh, just yeah. retire it because it got hijacked. They had ransom. They wanted $5 million for the plane. That was part of the part of the, what the, the hostage takers demanded. And I read that the plane got ultimately got converted to a cargo plane and flew around the world for years and years and years as a cargo plane. Uh, by John the way. John Travolta didn't buy it? Maybe. <laughs> Actually, I think Travolta owns a 707. Um, but I think we got to give a lot of credit to the guy who plays the flight engineer. Yeah, right. He's That's true. I, I almost forgot about him. Yeah, he's great. And, and you know, he is sort of the face of the crew, even though the captain has that one good scene where he says we can't leave, even though we could leave and they would let us go. We have to stay with the passengers. Uh, yeah. But the guy who plays the flight engineer 
was really, you know, he he might have had the most complex portrayal of any character in this movie. Yep. And and for example, the scene where they are ostensibly, you know, he's fixing the plumbing and trying to get the water right. going. What he's really doing is is more than any other character is he's kind of like putting the Daniel Brühl character his his feet to the fire and basically saying like everything you're saying is a load of crap. Right. And and I'm a builder and I'm a fixer and I'm going to accomplish more good in my life just, you know, giving these people some water and doing my job in a good way than you're going to accomplish with all your high-minded baloney. Right. Like I thought that I thought for me that that was one of the best scenes in the whole movie just that bit where they're trying to fix the plumbing. Yes. I know Who they need more him? plumbing less dance. <laughs> more plumbing. <laughs> Who played him? That guy. I have to figure that one out. Um by the way the captain, uh the captain of the plane uh, is Brondis Jodorowsky, who is the son of Alejandro Jodorowsky, who tried to bring oh, wow. Dune to the screen. Isn't that interesting? I see that. Yeah. Um, That's cool. I don't know. I just, for me, a near miss. I'm not sorry I saw it, and I would have felt crazy upset if I hadn't seen this in the theater. But boy, did I not expect that that's how they were going to do it. But I would say kudos to the guy who played the flight engineer. Kudos to Daniel Brühl and definitely to Rosamund Pike. Who, like, again, I don't really like her. Like, I don't find her fun to watch, but you cannot deny she turns in a good performance. Oh, she was great. I mean, she looks... She's uh, scary. She's scary looking. And then, you know, she's like popping pills the whole time and she looks <laughs> Never like... Never sleeping. She looks atrocious. Like, she looks worse and worse as the event. You know, she's the only thing that gives you the sense that this was seven days because she looks like she's been there for seven days. Toward later on, I mean, there's she just looks haggard and stressed and she looks like she's losing it. And you can imagine and, that uh, they all are, you know, eating poorly, sleeping poorly, if at all. She's not sleeping, you know, drinking a little bit of water. Like, they probably all yeah. reek. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she she's uh, she she's really good, really good in the movie. And I, you know what I thought was really good too was the way that you know she cut her hair as a callback to her commenting that uh, the friend of hers who had died in prison had cut her hair before right. she died. Like she knew she was going to die. Like she knew she wasn't going to get out. Sort of as telegraphed by that scene where she makes the the quote unquote phone call. She knows right. she's going to die, um, and she cut her hair sort of like in sort of in accord with or in sympathy with right her friend who died as well i don't know but i will tell you if you get a chance check out some of the the recreations or some of the sort of schematic ways that this is presented on youtube there it's it really really is amazing what they did like mm -hmm. i am sure that that the guys who pulled this off you know for their whole life they knew you know whatever else they did this one thing they did they really really got right so, so, so I would say to the to the to the audience, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, but just recognize that you've heard of, you've heard about all this dance stuff, so don't be thrown when you see it. But I don't I don't think it makes the movie not worth seeing. Uh, but again, um, you know, a seven that could have been maybe an eight and a half or a nine is what I'll say. You think it was a seven? I don't even know. Yeah, I know. I would give it a seven. I, I, I liked it. I, I mean, I liked all three of the sort of the big main arcs. I mean, I have one major complaint about it. And other than that, I really liked it. Mm. 
I don't. I don't think it rises to a seven. <laughs> There's a couple of bits, a couple of things in it that we mentioned that are good, but I think overall, I don't know. I would have preferred something. I would have preferred the pressure cooker method. Mm. So next week we're doing all that jazz, the Bob Fosse dance movie. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well. To to the credit to this film's credit, I think the dance is probably better than Bob Fosse. I mean, that dance <laughs> is pretty good. I'll give him that. Oh, it's pretty good. Again, the first time you see it, it's amazing. Yeah, it makes At a lot of impact. At the end of the impact. movie, not so amazing. Yeah, it, oh, it just man. can't hold a candle to one of the greatest Haas's rescues that actually that ever happened. As good as a piece of modern dance is. It's really hard to to reach that level of suspense in modern dance. And that's the crux of the problem right there. (laughs) In a nutshell. Uh, On that note. All right, guys. All right. All right. uh, Until next time.